Let us now turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 59. I'm going to read uh, verses 9 through 20 uh, with, a, with a real focus on uh, verse 15. Uh, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Rather than preaching on this one verse, we'll, we'll take a larger, larger portion here. And I'll probably even make reference beyond this portion because the whole of the chapter is very edifying in this regard. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And he was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands, the coastlands he will fully repay, so they shall fear. The name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Where the enemy, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion, and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. May God bless this reading to our good understanding here on this, uh, this title, which is Christians Living in Chaotic Times. And this is being preached uh, the day or the day or day or two after the invasion of uh, the land of Israel by the radical Hamas, which is a Islamic element of Islam. Over 600 have died so far, and of course, it's uh, if you've been able to watch any of the news, you've seen pictures of people being abducted from their homes, children shot, uh, as these soldiers, uh, so-called, have entered and, and wrecked, wrecked havoc upon this part of the world. Um, and so the, the title of the sermon is uh, Christians Living in Chaotic Times, and we've been praying about many of the, many of the issues besetting America 
the last year or two, uh, much less these things like are going on in Israel right now. So I've divided up the message uh, to look at this text of Scripture uh, under these four headings. The, 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 there are times when great injustice prevails. Uh, number two, where the righteous man endangers himself, and I've give, given verses that tie to these different thoughts or theories. Uh, three, yet God sees this and will prevail through Christ. And then number four, ecclesi ecclesiastical measures that we can take, uh, following from three, if, if, if the Lord will work this out through Christ, then what would Christ have us to do in, in both church and state? But we know that it all starts from the, the hearing of the word of God from the pulpits of our land, even where it goes beyond that in terms of the, the six days of the week and in terms of the culture, politics and economics and these kinds of things, which the Bible does not speak fully on, but gives us the, the foundational principles of them. And so we have these four ideas set before us. The, uh, having to do with the times in which we live. Now, we see that this, this is not a surprise to God. He addresses here in this passage and in other passages too. In the New Testament, we see where the Roman Imperial Rome uh, had its almost absolute power because it had the arms, it had the army, it had the military, where they imposed very cruel standards upon the Jews of the day. In many ways, the Jews fared better than some of the other ancient peoples uh, that, that the Romans conquered. They had a kind of a respect uh, built into their methodology, which, I, which we can only trace to God himself for his Old Testament people and for the future providences of that people. But nonetheless, the people were treated rather roughly, and that was in the days of our Lord Jesus. And, and it was out of that treatment that Jesus was crucified. We, we remember that Jesus was crucified not by a mob, although it had some comparisons to a mob, but he was he was condemned by the imperial Roman court. It was all legal. It was all done according to Roman law. And so... Uh, while it appears frantic and uh, radical to our minds and our eyes and simply horrible in that our Lord Jesus was crucified, but we see that these things can happen and have happened in the past, even to God's Son, uh, through the wrath of men. And we see here that Isaiah anticipated that and talked about it in this 59th chapter of the passage. Now, the first point here is that there are times of great where great injustice prevails. Now, the idea here is not that there are great injustices or that there are any injustice at all, but that there's, there's injustice that prevails. In other words, it's like the sweeping of a tide. We've had a number of, of uh, uh, oceanic um, tides that have swept in, tidal waves that have swept over beach communities around the world, and uh, when, the, when a tide like this flows, it's virtually impossible to escape it. You can climb a tree and hope you can climb fast, and the, the tide is coming in, and hoping that that tree is not swept away with the tide that flows in. But there, there's not many recourses when such amazing things happen, and the, 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 flood, the floods or the winds or the hurricanes or the tornadoes, the vortexes sweep upon us. 
And so uh, in this case, though, we see in Isaiah 59 that uh, this is the theme of this whole chapter. And if we look back beyond this chapter, even it's very, it's very intriguing and not, not inconsequential at all, but the end of Isaiah 58 focuses on the Sabbath, that day which is so disrespected today, that day which is uh, so discounted, not thought well of, not, and not to held up as something special. And so uh, in verse 13, it's one of the great passages of the Old Testament where God says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you get that beatific vision of blessings upon Israel immediately before this chapter. And then as soon as uh, chapter 59 begins, uh, it begins with a, a, the upheaval of, of uh, grammar and vocabulary. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. People always think that they can cry out to the Lord in their extremity. That God will be there. God will be just happy that they finally turn to him. No. We need to be afraid that our sin will go so far that we will offend God so much that in the day when we cry out for him, that he will not hear, such as it was in the days of Noah. When people who were dying of the flood cried out, but the door was shut. The door which represented Christ, the, the safe way into the ark, so that they would not be consumed by the floodwaters. Uh, that was too late. The door, was, the door was shut. And so no matter what the people cried out, they died amidst the tempest of waves and floods that swept over the earth at that time. And, uh, and uh, probably millions died in that flood. And even, even it, it was so amazingly harsh that even the geography of the earth was changed. I think that the, the creation scientists think that the places like the Grand Canyon, the mountains, were carved out by this great, this great flood and its aftermath, the weather uh, aftermath that, that took place after that. And so uh, 59 begins with this focusing on the idea of the, this, the world as it had embraced and thrived on the idea of rebellion against God. And so that's the background to this, the, the, the verse 9 and following that we, that we have. And there are many sentences in this first part that, that um, correspond to sentences in the passage that we're reading and studying before us. So the Lord says through Isaiah that justice is far from us. Um, this word justice is a word we have to be careful of because um, great iniquity has been justified under the name or under the word justice. In the French Revolution, uh, they use words like justice to um, 
uh, rape people, rape women in the churches of Rome there in Paris. Uh, they used the, the, the theme of justice to cut people's heads off indiscriminately. Some of the revolutionaries like Rousseau uh, were, in the end, uh, uh, executed themselves, where the revolution consumed its, its philosophers and its pro promoters because people were so crazed in their thirst for justice. We must always define these words according to the scriptures. You cannot define justice if you do not bring in the name of the Lord. God himself gives us a summary of justice in the Ten Commandments. And so wherever we would deviate from the Ten Commandments, we would be warned, even though, we, even though the Ten Commandments are not as specific as we might like, they are general themes, general theories of law, and uh, many of the case laws flow from these ten great commandments. And the, te the case laws then are very specific. Uh, but uh, God gives us this, this backpack, if you will, to carry around with us. If you want to know what justice is and you know the ten commandments, then you have a very good fundamental feel for the idea of what is right and wrong, what pleases God and what, not, and what does not please God. And ultimately, at the foundation of these Ten Commandments is one great command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. And so each of the Ten Commandments in some way illustrates how, the, how love is contested or broken by autonomous man when he goes off the reservation. And so by this, if you know that much, then you know that man is prone to redefine things. Satan, at the, in the temptation of Adam and Eve, redefined what, what righteousness was. God had said, thou shalt not eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan contested that. He didn't show up dressed in red, a red uniform, uh, shouting all kinds of blasphemies against God. He just showed up with these uh, uh, ideas of skepticism. Will God surely kill you? Will God surely demand death from you if you eat of the forbidden fruit? And then outright, finally outright contradiction. God will not slay you uh, if you eat of the fruit. So men are skeptical today and so they contest God more oblique, obliquely, I mean, I mean more directly uh, in the things that they say. But what we see here is that, that, that righteousness and justice is defined by God. And if you leave off of God, then you will leave off of uh, God's sense of righteousness. In the late part of the 20th century, the last, the last quarter of the 20th century, the theonomists promoted the simple epithet, simple epithet or chaos. They had bumper stickers. It's Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. And many Christians, many people were dubious of this. They thought these people are certainly overstating the case that Christ is not that important to the peace of our society. But what we have today, brothers and sisters, is we have, we have sowed the wind in, these, in this last 50 years, from 1975 to 2025, we're only two years away, we have sowed the wind as the Bible says, and now the whirlwind blows. 
Now we have Supreme Court justices that cannot even define what a woman is. We cannot define who is a boy and who is a girl and whether they should use the boys' room or the girls' room. We cannot define sexuality. We cannot define the authority system of our world. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the state and uh, others are working to uh, usurp the authority of the family. Well, this, this begins with economics. The Bible teaches us that what a man has made, he is owner of. And so we make our children, don't we? We produce our children. We have sexual relations and children are formed in the womb and then they come, they're born, they come forth. That, in, in terms of biblical ownership, that indicates that, that the family, the parents, own the children. They are not the children of the state. But ever since the writings of Karl Marx and, uh, and uh, Lenin and really the French Revolution, there was this idea that the state should have final authority over the family, over the children, over the church. That's why the cathedrals were raided and uh, they, they just had, they had riots within the churches, smashing things and burning things and then, uh, then grasping if they could find the nuns of that day. And we're, we are no friends of Roman Catholicism, but uh, raping nuns on the altars of these great cathedrals it was a horrible, horrible blasphemy against God, even in the midst of Rome's errors. But that's what's done. There was, there was revolt, there was horror, there was anger, there was uh, inflammation of mind and heart against the Lord and against his beauty. And that broke forth. So uh, the Lord here in Isaiah 59 uh, speaks of this and in these first uh, verse 9 and 10 and 11 and uh, uh, he said that, that it can get so confusing in life that people grope for the wall like the blind. Now, some people say well we've got our university professors they have wisdom, they have their diplomas, they have their degrees they have the ribbons, they, they adorn the walls of their offices and their homes Certainly we can turn there. No, God says, in the day of darkness, the people grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope for it as if we had no, eye, no eyes. I, I, whenever I listen to political comment in, the, in our day, I listen, I listen even more to the conservatives than I do to the liberals or the progressives because I want to see what they're saying. And they almost all base their ideas in some neutral principles of justice. They never turn to the Lord. They never found these things on the living God. But the Bible says if there is no God, the people perish. Well, the Bible says where, where there is no uh, uh, inspiration, where there is no dream, where there is no truth, then nothing makes sense anymore. And if Christ is the foundation of truth, if he's the essence of truth, if he's the eternal logos, then if we reject Christ, we invite chaos and crisis upon ourselves. And that is exactly what is going on in our day. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, called to the hospital for a, a trauma. A unit came in, brought a little baby in, three months, four months old, and uh, the baby had died, and uh, uh, he'd been found by his... Uh, by his one of his siblings because the mother was not there 
Uh, there were, I think, five or six children in the home. Uh, and uh, But the joy was meeting one of the police officers that came in. And we, we started talking about this. And almost immediately we realized that we were mutual brothers of faith. And he saw... He saw this as an example of the social breakdown of our land. And it was wonderful to have fellowship with a, uh, a soldier, if you will, or a policeman. He was an officer of some, uh, some experience. And, some, and he, said to, he said to me after we got talking, he said, I witness all the time in my, in my, uh, my police station, my, uh, my unit. And uh, he said, uh, I know that it's not always received, but he said, we have, no, we have no recourse, do we, but to try to witness to the truth. And I said, no, you're right. And I said, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're here today at the, ho at the hospital as part of the, the uh, police force that came in to witness this and to try to deal with this sad thing. And just the, the horror of seeing um, a little baby, a precious little baby, four months old, uh, when they were doing uh, CPR upon him, they didn't need a they didn't need a big nurse. They did it with their finger upon his little chest. Brings tears to your eyes. But these are our times. These are the days in which we live. How can a Christian survive? Uh, the second point of this passage goes to this this idea. Um, in verse 15, uh, it shows where if you try to behave right and maintain righteousness in times like this, then you can actually make yourself a target. You can endanger yourself by trying to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that should shock us in a sense. Would God invite us to take up a religion, a faith system whereby we can be, we can be, we can expose ourselves to dangers simply by living by His good dictums? And the Bible says yes, that these things happen. All eleven, I mean, eleven of the twelve disciples, all ended their lives as apostles. They all ended their lives as martyrs. Eleven of twelve. What hope do we have in this faith of ours if the, the foundations of our faith in terms of the earthly officers, the apostles, if 11 or 12 died, suffered, murdered them, and died? But God does not normally call our numbers to such a, uh, a radical ratio whereby 11 of us out of 12 are slain by the Lord. But he did call his apostles to this. And we praise them for their courage and their determination to remain firm in their faith, to not turn like Judas did and defy, deny their Lord, but they stood firm. And in the face of the gale of judgment, pagan judgment, mob rule, if it were, that in the face of such things, they remain firm. And so Christ calls us to that same kind of understanding and that same kind of testimony ourselves. But he does not want us to be uh, misinformed by thinking that if we follow Jesus, that we're always safe in terms of the flesh. Now we know that if our flesh is harmed, that we will immediately go to be with the Lord. So the our covenantal forebears, they rejoiced. They rejoiced on the, the, uh, the hangman's 
uh, bench or, or built-up area where they would be hanged, and they preached sermons from there about how in just a moment they would be free, whereas all of those who watched the hanging would have to continue on in their suffering. They had a, a robust faith and hope in what Christ had done and in his words that today you shall be with me in paradise. So we must have that same kind of feeling. But it, it, it rests on this idea that the world is often just crazy. And, uh, and uh, the righteous being one dangerous. Well, we, we, illustrations of that today. If we, we see the chaos around us, so we try to remedy that by homeschooling or Christian schooling or something like that, and we can be targeted for that, by that, uh, uh, so that the, the, we're persecuted by the state. Just this last week, there was a family that was over here from Germany homeschooling because Germany no longer allows homeschooling. Can you imagine that? In this land of Nazism and uh, the, 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 the terror of World War II and the terrible miscalculations of justice that they made, but they, they are so absolutistic today that they will not allow families to deviate from state policy. So there's a family over here, and, and the Germans are trying to get them back. They're demanding that they come back. And uh, they, they've appealed to our justice system to, to allow them sanctuary. Now, if there was ever ground for a sanctuary in America, would it not be something like this, where you knew that if these people went back, their family would be broken up? And even the children would endure persecution? But we are so corrupted in our minds that it's a big issue of whether we should do this or not. And the the the, the, the the betting uh, line was that the family would be sent back. Now it's going to, we have a we have a lot of friends with people that will fight almost unto the death over here to save people like that. Praise the Lord. But the very fact that we have to fight such ferocious fights and battles indicates how far our own nation has gone in sliding down and degrading into debauchery and corruption. And so, but uh, but we, we see that that's an example of, uh, of that kind of uh, of uh, uh, issue. Uh, I bring up the January 6th protesters. Oh, you say. The January 6th protesters. They were involved in insurrection. Well, according to who? <laughs> according to the government that rules in this day. Uh, it's the most amazing insurrection that we've ever had. Nobody brought a weapon. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard, pretty hard to have a revolution if you can't take somebody else's life. The only person that was shot there that day or harmed was a, a woman who, who was fairly rational. She was inside the Capitol, but she was a fairly rational woman, and she was shot by a guard behind a door where he could not, he could see people outside the door, but he couldn't see her. And so he just blasted, and she died. Uh, there were you know, no arrows made on that day, but for, by the, by the, um, in terms of the, the number of people that day, most of the people that day were simply there to protest because they disagreed with government policy. And that's supposed to be guaranteed by the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Now, we're, we're not allowed to destroy things in that name, uh, like uh, uh, Black Lives Matter or like Antifa, for which there are no arrests given for that in the last couple of years when they did that. But in this case, uh, even though there was a very, very, very small damage that was done, 
uh, to our capital inside, and it was done by very few people, uh, the, the masses who were there simply to protest. They were, they were truly upset. They entered the Capitol building, but they didn't break down doors. Some did, but some were let in by the guards that were there at the Capitol building. And this is supposed to be the people's house. <laughs> the Capitol is supposed to be the people. It's supposed to belong to the American citizens. And so these people uh, should not have not, should not have assumed ordinarily that they could not go into the Capitol building. You can go in normally in tours. And if you're a tourist up there in Washington, D.C., at least it used to be that way. So uh, it's, a, it's not an abnormal thing, but the people that did that, the people who protested that day, the people that exercised their First Amendments, some of them have been locked up in jail for months and months and months and months now, some of them even for a year, more than a year now, uh, even without the charges being written against them, which is supposed to be uh, 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 impossible here in America. They're, by the rights of uh, habeas corpus, we're, we're supposed to have the, the any charge, we cannot be incarcerated for more than a short time without charges being brought against us. And so here, in many cases, there have been no charges, and yet people have been incarcerated. So it's another example of how you can try to do the right thing, uh, but you can, you can endanger yourself. Uh, for he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Very few people that got arrested that day were people that were just trying to be outlandish in their wickedness. They were mostly trying to be righteous, and they were trying to, um, they were trying to protest in a godly way if they were Christians, and uh, many, many were. And uh, so there are many examples of this sort of thing that illustrates uh, principle two here. Now, one of the great things that this passage brings out is that in terms of an answer to all this is that God sees what's going on. It's the worst thing possible when we suffer injustice and no one sees, or we, we just think there's no end to this. But we see in verse 20, what does it say? Uh, he says, so, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, verse, I'm sorry, verse 15. B, when the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, that is no human man, who could come to the quick and come to the answer, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. Now, the arm of the Lord is ordinarily understood as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. What did the Son of Man do? He obtained righteousness for a people to save them. So this is clearly messianic and prophetic of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, in a passage that, that, um, that reflects what we see in the New Testament, in the, the book of uh, Galatians and Ephesians, it says he put on righteousness as a breastplate, the armor, the armor of God passages in the New Testament, and a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak, so that this, this, um, this uh, armament of uh, righteousness and vengeance, uh, the cloak of zeal, in other words, the, 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 the zeal of the Lord was for this righteousness and for this goodness. And so here, in the face of people being suffer, suffering for righteousness' sake, the Lord sees this and then he indicates that he will bring uh, an answer. And uh, 
And it says in verse uh, 20 that the, the Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression to, to Jacob, says the Lord. And so the third point is God sees this and will prevail through Christ. Now the measures through which Christ will work is uh, his main vehicle or his main instrument for, for working to save people from these kinds of situations as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the church, while it is not armed, it cannot rescue you from a mob by the, the gunpowder that holds stored in its basements. The church can preach and can proclaim. And even if that's done in many cases in these riots that have taken place, one person, if, if a mob was beating up or trying to take the life of someone in their midst, uh, sometimes it's been it's been one person who stepped forward and proclaimed, who spoke, cried out to that mob about the, their hatred and their injustice. One person stemmed the flow. Sometimes it's been, and if the mobs have been racially oriented, sometimes it's been uh, a black person who stood up against his peers or her peers. Sometimes a mother who has stood up and said, this is wrong, my, my son or my daughter erred, it's wrong to riot, I call you, I challenge you to go back to your homes. And sometimes it's been really a street fight or something like that, it's been one person, uh, one person who comes forward and, and stood in the face of the mob, and uh, the Lord has given grace to them to break that the spirit of the mob, because they were inspired by things of the Lord. <clears throat> And so in terms of our ecclesiastical measures today, and in terms of times like this, we need uh, humility is a great um, a great sword to use. If we if our if you live in a neighborhood where your neighbors know you as a responsible person who is also a person of love, and they've seen your love demonstrated in the little ways that you have been a neighbor to them. Then in tumultuous times like this, if you say something, if you call upon them, you have a great inheritance, a great amount of currency in your account to speak up and be a witness for the Lord that other people do not have. And for some scallywag comes to my door and says something, I treat him, I, in my mind, I treat him like a scallywag. I say, well, you know, I, I, I may stand here calmly, but I don't, I, whatever you're saying, I have to really... Uh, see whether it's true or not. I don't trust it. Yet if other neighbors came to me who are faithful, then uh, I have an automatic prima facie trust of what they say. So we should develop that in our day. Uh, I, I think I speak of the economy, and uh, we need to live today in somewhat of a defensive manner. This is not a day for wanton spending or just free willing, free wheeling uh, with our money. We have to realize that evil can come upon us. How do we protect ourselves? Do we live at the end of our budget? Or do we, we do, are we careful with our money and we have nest eggs and that kind of thing? Safety, walls of safety that lie behind it. Then we can, if we're attacked from the front, we can, we can we have fallback positions. The children especially need to learn these things and, and they need to learn these habits early in their life. Of, uh, of being economical with the things that God has given them, realizing that God, with that which God giveth, He can also take away, and He calls us to be to be protective of ourselves and to to value the the, the uh, powers that we have, the monies that we have, the gifts that we have. Uh, 
community. I've listed that too. It's wonderful to have a community of saints, which we have here in this church. We've already we've already turned to our community a number of times when people had some economic calamity that came upon them. We don't share all of the all of these things publicly always through the church, but through our deacons fund, we have that capacity to respond if there are things that individuals face that they cannot deal with. We can pull together. We can protect ourselves so that we're not living like lone rangers out there in the world. And the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful um, resource at at times like this. Uh, God has blessed uh, the Christian church again and again and again with these kinds of resources, with this kind of wisdom. I think of Oliver Cromwell, who was known as the Lord Protector. He was the, the, the ruler that uh, took over after the the, uh, the uh, House of Parliament uh, had uh, executed King Charles I, and uh, he was hated by many. I mean, he stood forth as a Christian governor. He, he was hated by many. There are many Christians even that think that he's one of the worst people that ever lived, even though he tried as hard as he could to be a Christian uh, governor. Uh, he managed to he managed to go through the the period called the protectorate when he ruled, and uh, uh, he he ruled as a, a dictator at various times, but always in the name of the Lord, always by the law of God. When he finally died, he died peacefully, uh, happily. The, the God kept the mobs from uh, taking him prisoner and kill, executing him like they did. Uh, Mussolini in Italy and so uh, Cromwell died his son Richard was not as gifted as his father they made Richard the the successor like like the divine right of kings even though Cromwell told him not to do that but they made Richard the, the, uh, the, the Lord Protector next. He was not up to the job. He just didn't have the, the, um, the, the currency that his father did in terms of value and wisdom and that sort of thing. So he was, he was deposed then quickly, and then ultimately they, they uh, brought back King Charles. The Parliament brought back King Charles II uh, unwisely. They had, they had found a modern democracy under Cromwell where the Parliament was given more and more sway and uh, power. They went back to the king, and uh, of course the king took out his vengeance on Cromwell. He had his bones dug up and he burned them. <laughs> and uh, uh, to show his wrath upon Cromwell. But uh, King Charles II ushered in the greatest time of persecution in, uh, in uh, English history. Where I know just in Scotland, that's where the Covenanters bore their tremendous persecution. Just in Scotland, there were over 20,000 people that were killed and uh, executed. There were 100,000 or more that were street people. These are families, families like yours and mine, families of little children, families without a father, because often the father would be killed. And then then they they would steal the land and the property from the family in which they lived. And then the family would be out on the street. In Scotland, if you've lived there, it's no place to be out on the street. Uh, it's just it's a colder climate, and uh, it's amazing that more people didn't die of exposure. But they were uh, many were many were hidden and sequestered by faithful families that would take them in and hide them, 
and allow them to live, even if you if you were caught harboring a family like this, you could be put out on the street. Your, your family, your property could be stolen. Your church could be taken. But they did that anyway because the family of faith uh, does things beyond what they're commanded by their, their, their rulers and their people because they have righteousness before them. They realize the biblical righteousness rules, not just the fiat of the human government. And so, um, so this was done. Uh, I think of the Pilgrim's success. You know, America was founded because of the persecution on the on the Reformed, on the on the Westminster Confession type of people. Well, after the Pilgrims came here, it was only a few years later that they made the Westminster Confession in Great Britain. They were, the two things happened continuously, simultaneously, and the, the same people that were over there developing the, the Westminster Confession and the the modern Parliament, they were over here setting up a new life here in America. So they were persecuted people that came here and uh, began to began to grow their life anew. And great blessings came out of that. God brings great blessings out of persecution. Uh, we think of the Covenanter success. This time, there, there was a time we call the killing times where they were ravaged, as I've already said, uh, across the land. And the righteous man, as it says in verse 15, made himself a prey. If you were caught reading the Bible by the British dragoons, there was no need to indict you, to take you to court. They could shoot you or, or stay you with their sabers right on the spot. And there were many children whose, whose hearts were possessed by the Spirit of Christ, who delighted in the Word of God, even in the face of such uh, cavalrymen as that. And so died where they read their Bible or were praying because they had hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> Titus 2, 12 and 13 says, uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and, world, and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Words that were intended for tumultuous times, for times when uh, imperial Rome ruled sometimes quite harshly. But our hope is in the Lord, and, uh, and so that's our greatest protection uh, against uh, this kind of life, banding together, protecting ourselves where we can, uh, taking up the right of our self-protection, self, uh, 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 self, uh, uh, I can't think of the term right now, but uh, we, there are these, all of these steps that we can take up. We, 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 it's best if we talk together about these things. That's another place where the community comes in. But we are not, despite the, the chaos of the times, brothers and sisters, we are not helpless. There's much wisdom in the Church of Christ, and uh, if we if we have the theology of our forebears, uh, much wisdom in dealing with the evil of times just such as this. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ is a great Lord, he's a great shepherd, and we can be safe in him even unto the uttermost. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst help us by, by showing us that we have gone through this before. Uh, the New Testament church began in such times as these. We cannot be surprised by these things as if they are novel 
where it never happened before. There are dispensationalists among us to think that these times are so bad that, that the only hope is a rapture or a res sudden resurrection out of it. For thou hast taught before that, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we see these times and we say to ourselves, we've already done this once, in fact, twice, thrice, many times. We've done this many times before, but us simply do it again by being faithful to our Lord and our Savior and our Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.